This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The same outer and inner reality. The, you know, we're talking about outer meaning God, way beyond creation, totally outside of space and time. And then in, that's eminent. And then there's imminent, how God actually, so to speak, shows up in how God chose to create the world. That's imminent. Eminent, imminent. Outside, surrounding, inside. That's the burrito effect, right? He's the tortilla, but he's also within. He's the rice and beans for those who like Mexican food. Okay? So, so that shows up in Shema in many ways. And we already discussed how Hashem, right? Shema Israel, Hashem, Elokeinu is what's inside. Remember the word Elokeen is plural. Why is it plural? Did we talk about that? Well, we didn't get there. Let's get there real quick. Okay, so we got we got finite inside the and inside the circle is Hashem's inside the circle. And then we got outside. We got the infinite. We got his outside there too. So he's outside of creation. He's inside. And how he's outside creation is Hashem. Yud and Hay, Vav and Hay. We say Abo and then not. How God is inside creation, we say the word Elohim. Elohim is the name of God referring to inside, excuse me, referring to inside the creation, Elohim. Now you'll notice that the name Elohim, I'm saying Kim, it's really Him, but I'm saying Kim just because we're, I'm being careful not to use his name in vain. The name Elohim should freak you out because they, we didn't discuss this. It's got a good and mem at the end. Plural. Plural. Excellent. Yelid, yeladim, kadur, kadurim. Elohim, how could it be that we have a plural name of God? How could that be? That there's a plural name of God? Are we monotheists or not? This is crazy, right? You ever thought about that? Elohim is plural. Why? So who can answer why? Especially noting that it focuses on what's inside the creation, all the mold, you know, new, new cells, protons, neutrons, electrons, tables, chairs, people, trees. I guess. Um, let's keep one column over there. Exactly what you said reflects the plurality of the world as well. Excellent. That's God. You getting this, Josh? That's God in it, in the physical world with all its all its multiplicity. We have a plural name of God. Now, this is why you, one would realize at this point that Judaism is much more Eastern than Western. I don't know if you're getting that. But, like, meaning we, we're, we don't separate God from reality, that our reality here. And that basically, the idea is that God is both eminent and imminent. There's a plural name for God. Whenever you see the word Elokeinu, like, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu or Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu what that means is Elokeinu Shalanu which just means our God <coughs> Elokeinu Shalanu and by the way when you click on the word sorry I just got some free radicals here when you click on the word Elokeinu in Shema it takes you to the to the commentary that says you know, because it's a little ethnocentric to say he's our God. He's everyone's God, but he's our God. That this ha, that's Yiddish, this understanding that God is all that there is outside and in, is for Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. That's for Yisrael. In the end of days, in the times of Mashiach, the whole world is going to realize it was all one. There? That's what you get when you click on the Chumash on the Torah, on the Shema Yisrael, that's what you get. Because it's a little strange, it says Yisrael. And it says Elokeinu, when it's not their God. The answer is this understanding. So we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Yudin and Hei, surrounding space of time. Elokeinu is filling space and time. And then we say Hashem Echad is all one. There is no 
on the climax of Yom Kippur, when we beat our chests all day and we fasted and we divorced the circle. Yom Kippur, you divorce the circle. You get your, your, your uh, what's the word, right word, your dirty hands out of the creation for the whole day. You know, you're just not in the creation. You're not sexually active. You're not, uh, you know, financially active. You're not involved in any animal instinct of survival and reproduction. By the end of that holy day, we scream seven times, Hashem Hu HaElokim. Hashem Hu HaElokim. Hashem Hu HaElokim. So you're like, and once you get that, then you realize everything's really Hashem. Well, if everything's really Hashem, then you have to leave your home. And you have to go into the wilderness. And so every Jew leaves their home and lives in a thatched hut for weeks straight to ground it. You gotta ground it. That's very it's very high when you walk out of your giver, you're fasting and you like realize God's everything and you're like, whoa, I don't want to do anything wrong. You know? I just I just I'm like a baby that's been born. And a baby that's been born doesn't you know, put them on the street in Manhattan, you put them in a nursery. Let them develop a bit. Same thing after you're a kid when you're a baby that's been born and realized that all this stuff that I thought was meaningful is such a subcategory of meaning compared to the reality that God is all that there is. That's true monotheism. It's not that there's a belief in one God. It's that that is reality. As I said before, it makes... Um, LSD look like vitamin C. It's more powerful of a shift in reality than any potential experience, drug, anything. It is a paradigm shift extraordinary. And it changes absolutely everything about your life. Which makes more sense because of Abraham, Abraham has such a big impact. It certainly couldn't be that boring definition of monotheism, belief in one God which changes nothing. Does that change you guys? Believe in one God? If anything, if we were playing basketball, the Greeks would have won. They had thousands. Thousands against one. <laughs> we lost. You know, but when we're saying he is one, which is what Shema is saying, it's not Shema Yisrael, Shema Kingdom. It's not, you're always the Lord of God, there's one of them. <laughs> you're always the Lord of God, the Lord is one. It's absolute oneness. We sing in Shul, Vehu Echad Ve'ein. Shaney, there's no shaney. There is no shaney. He is oneness. There's nothing outside of that oneness. Uh, the Torah itself says, Ata Das, Ki Hashem You were created to know. Oh my gosh. Another free radical? Yeah, this has been a, uh, potentially a silent movie. <laughs> Microphone, wireless microphone. It's a Bluetooth, yeah. Maybe at least that. You yeah, didn't sure. pick that up. Sure even though that thing was on? Yeah, because yeah, that could have been. It was off. It was off. You just turned it off. I know, but maybe once it's in the hook, it bypasses. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, it's just kind of blue now, so we'll yeah. find out. Cool, it was Charlie Chaplin for like the first 15 minutes. Charlie Chaplin played lecturing in his movie. to play it back. Where were we? Um, we're saying Shul. Who are Oh, it says, Ator Reis Ladas Ki I'll translate. You were. Born to know, meaning the whole reason you were created in this world, it says this in the Torah, the only reason you were created in, in this world was to know, okay, that's Atta, you, Horesa, were created, Ladat, to know. What? Ki, that, Hashem, Hu Ha Elohim, just like we say on Yom Kippur seven times, to know that He is Elohim, He's all there is. Ain od milvado. There is nothing but him. 
Ain is nothing. Od, other. Milvado, then him. That's what the world's created for. So there's no flat tire that's not God. And there's no busted heart that you probably have had in your past that's not from God. And there's no winning the lottery that's not from God. There's no nothing that's not from God. And you may say, well, God even lets me go make mistakes. That's right, because God's really, really awesome. Your dad wouldn't let you make mistakes. Hashem loves you more than your dad. Proof is your dad only wants to hear good news. Hashem is willing to have you go down a path that might lead to real pain. Because of the growth you'll get out of it. You're not a new person. You are an ancient person. You've been through a lot for many, many, many centuries, millennia. And Hashem loves you so much that He wants you to be whole and rectify your life and, and be fixed. But most people don't learn in classrooms. Most people, people learn from the hard knocks of life. So most people get their lessons. But the whole point is to come to Enod Milvado. There is nothing but Him. And everything I went through in my past was from Him. And what I'm going through now is Him. Is Him. What I'm going to be having happen in my life in the future is from God. And then you become more sensitive husband because she's not your wife. She's Hashem in the form of your wife. Well, you can't yell at that person. And those aren't your kids. You're not allowed to drop kick your son because he's yours. He is not yours. He's a sham in the shape of a sun. And you can't just, you know, you can't put salt on a slug. You know, and you can't, when I'm riding my mountain bike down the trails, sometimes I see those ant trails, like thousands of ants making a little, you know, black spot across the trail. If I'm going down the hill, I bunny hop. I pull up my wheels, I hop, and who am I? Hashem is everywhere. There's nowhere where he is not. Who am I to crush you know, 50 ants with each tire? Now, if I'm coming up a hill, I'm doing a hill climb, and I'm not going to be able to bunny hop them, and it's going to ruin my climb. So those 50 ants now, 100, well, 100, 150 on each tire, they're going up with Rabbi Glazer. They're dead now. But they're, they're sacrifices. Because when I make that hill climb, I'm going to be on fire. When I'm on fire, I'm going to teach Torah in a fiery way. And those ants are going to be a reggae sacrifice for the creator of the universe. And the, But when I'm going down the trail, do the bunny hop. Tread lightly. A monotheist treads lightly. He treats people carefully. Because everyone he sees and everyone he knows and everything that happens is all Hashem Hu HaElokim. Hu HaElokim. And you don't lie, because lying, what are the vibrations in your voice going out into the world? God. They're God in the form of vocal sound. I don't want to put something out there that ain't true. He'll let me. And he'll let me deal with the consequences that it usually leads to, or the consequences of how it defames me as a human being, internally. And he'll let me do that until I realize that I don't like those feelings. I want to be someone who's who's with dignity and integrity. Yeah. So do you get to a point that I mean I, I mean this must be a really righteous person to talk about. You always don't want to anything because you know that each word, each action, each footstep, each shake of hand, each look in any direction is going to affect in such a massive way that you just really want to just push back and just put your nose into a Torah and just study all day long so that you're not so much causing any damage. And, and I mean, and like, because it seems like saying I can bunny hop in one direction but I can run over the ants in another okay, so I've given myself, I make myself feel better because look, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to teach Torah in a fiery way with the ants that are, you know, but in the sense of like no matter what, you're doing something 
Like, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, okay, okay, you I got your question. Biking because you're touching ground and ground is God, and you know, I mean, it gets to a point where you're just like, and you just uh-huh. want to step away from the whole thing. So there are people who are like OCD who hear these Torahs and and like can take it to the extreme like that. Like be so afraid of treading on anything, and they'll stick their nose in Torah, and that's it. Um, but they, but our sages teach us that the whole reason God created the world was to create what's called a dira batachtoni. A dira batachtoni means a dwelling below. And when they when when they say below, they don't mean you know, that God is down here. What they were saying is that He should dwell in our most base desires. That's why on our holidays we eat. Can you imagine like Buddhist monks coming to visit Israel and they're like, let's get there on a Friday so we can be there Friday night for their holy day. And they fast for a few days getting ready for the big, you know, holiness of the Friday night. And they come in and they see we're we're not fasting. They're like, you know, yo, mashishi, you know, wine, you know. You know, okay, we're doing shots now. Okay, where's the fish? You know, and I thought the fish, uh, the shots between the fish and the meat. We have one before the fish and one after. <laughs> you know, they, and we're all celebrating with the food and we're eating and we're, and and they're like, uh, who's that lady over there? Is that another monk? No, that's my wife. And we're all these little kids. Huh? Those are my kids. He says, well, where are the like real practitioners? I mean, we're the real practitioners. So Judaism was created so that there would be a dwelling place below. And we are the dwelling. We are the dwelling place below, meaning that God would have a dwelling in you. So you're right. It's a lot safer to poke your nose into a book all day and just become like monk-like. But that wasn't the purpose of the whole thing. And um, you should know, by, by the way, an interesting fact, and this is very much in the line with Thursday's holiday, the giving of the Torah, that had it not been for the giving of the instructions for the world, but you knew this, if you only knew this and you didn't have instructions, then absolutely you belong in a mountaintop. You belong avoiding any contact with this world because you can only mess it up probably. And hence you'll notice the people in eastern mountaintops, they're celibate, they're not messing around with sexuality, which is the main desire, animal desire, it's called reproduction in the animal kingdom. They're not, they renounce their possessions, so they're not involved in survival. They fast all the time, which that's the main survival instinct, is getting out of that whole thing. They're, that would be who the Jewish people would be without the instructions. But at Sinai, we got the instructions for life. And so we don't have to be on a mountaintop because God didn't create the world for angels. He created the world for men and women with their desires and gave us a Torah to know how to focus those desires in a way that will work. And, you know, with free will, you cannot do that, but you'll deal with those consequences of what it's like to live in a world where you ignore the instructions. Yes, so, Michael, you can film this question since he's further away. All right, so God is one, and God doesn't have parts, correct? Right. Okay. Um, and God is okay. God is one, God doesn't have parts, yeah. and God is everything in the physical world, everything in the spiritual world, everything beyond that as well. So how is there actually a division of physical and spiritual if there are no parts to God? How is that both God then? Excellent question. Well, to answer that question, the, the, the answer is, is that I, I think we already discussed it here, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse much longer on this subject. I'm pretty sure, uh, Reese, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, someone's making something up here. Either God makes us up, or we're making God up. Someone's the illusion. Yeah, we did discuss. Someone's the illusion. Either God's an illusion that man's created, or the creation's an illusion that God created. So you're absolutely right. They can't both be 100% real. Something has to be the illusory. And as I think as we presented it when we did, is the wisest minds in history all agreed, unanimously, that God's creating us. 
not vice versa. We are a, that's why it's called creation. It's created. It's being suspended in the air by, in the mind of God. And the creation never left the mind of God. Is there anything outside of God? No. I mean, once you say there's something outside of God, what have you said about God? God ends, we begin. Hear that? That means God ends. Order, limit, finite. That's not our definition of God. It's not Jewish definition of God. Okay. Um, so, I was saying that the Shema hints a lot at this whole reality of this oneness coming together. So what is it? That First of all, the word Shema. Shema has in it uh, three words. And the three words are Shin. I've got a lighter or something. Maybe we can draw some... Uh... Oh, no one smokes here? I was about to be impressed. So it might. Um, can you heat up a pan in it? It actually dries it out, but enjoy yourself. Marker? No, it's not going to work. Hey. Watch it work so it's amazing. Killed it. Yeah. It's become an eraser. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. It's so sad. I have so many pens upstairs. Can someone remind me when I finish this class to run up and fill that bag with pens? It's on video now. Shema. The word Shema, the Shin, which looks like this, um, which is like a flame, is. Um, and has to and correlates, by the way, with the periodic table of carbon. Fire. Yeah, shin. As in the number of shin is the same number of carbon on the periodic table. The numbers are something else. The numbers, believe it or not, correlate with the counting of the tribe. We're in the book of numbers now. When you count out the tribes and everything, it has all these relationships to the periodic table. The numbers on the periodic table is bizarre, but the but I'm talking about something similar in that there's different letters. Like for example, the mem is representative of hydrogen. The shin is representative of carbon. The yud is oxygen. Right, it's air. It's just floating around. Right. The uh, uh, they're also they have elements to them uh, as well. So you have uh, meaning. Uh, how do you say? Uh, you know, earth, wind, fire, what do you call this? Elements. Basically. They also call the elements. Okay. So, uh, for example, mem is water. Mem is represented by water. Mem has a water feel to it. The final mem looks like a container that would hold water. Like a mikvah, which happens to be, mem is 40, happens to be the minimum requirement for a mikvah to be a mikvah is 40 sa'ah. Sa'ah is forget how many liters, six liters, I think. So 40 times six liters. And uh, that's a sa'ah, 40 sa'ah, mem sa'ah. It's the shape of a mikvah, and it's the amount as well that makes a mikvah. Uh, so my uh, yud, as we said, is oxygen or it's air. What's cool is you look at the word mayim. If you look at the word mayim, it's actually H2O. Mem, yud, mem, Yud Mem, right? It's the actual molecular buildup of water, which is cool stuff, you know. Because the, the word water comes from Vassar; it's Germanic. Agua is Agua is Romantic language, but it's it's those are just linguistical conventions. They're symbols for to give a human being an idea of water. Uh, Mayim is the stuff itself. It's the actual molecular ability. That's why it's so important to have a handle on Hebrew. Because you're, you're, it's the master language of the reality of the universe. Anyway, if you look at the words, oh, Shemesh, for example. You know what Shemesh is? Sun. Sun. Very good. Shemesh is sun. So if you look at the Shemesh, it's Shin, Mem, Shin. 
And what is the sun? It's a burning ball of hydrogen. So it's shin, men, you know, shin. It's, a, it's a hydrogen surrounded and engulfed in, in the lunar calendar is 355 days a year. The word Shana is Shin, 300. Nun is 50. Hey, 555. So they, whatever, it's in everything. Everything. Anytime you see, hear the letters Pei and Resh, Par, Par, Pei, Resh, um, always represents sections of things. And you'll notice in other languages it shows up that way as well. English for sure. Uh, like, for example, the word for fruit, which is often in sections. In Hebrew, it's peyrot. But if you spell the word peyrot, it, is, it spells fruit. The word? the word for part, like a particle, in Hebrew is prat. It's prat, peyresh. Anytime you have this peyresh, it's section. Um, anyway, that's not our class. Right now we're talking about Shema. And Shema has the shin, if you put it on a on a graph, on a computer chart, the shh sound has the highest frequency of any other consonant that the mouth can make, or that maybe that can be made at all. Shh has a very big uh, 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 oscillation. Um, mem mm, has like no oscillation. And what's cool about it too is shin looks like fire, has the most expansive oscillation, and what does heat do? What does heat cause things to do? It causes expansion. Well, it causes expanding, and it's interesting that, that shin has that expansive mode, right? Expansive mode up here with the surrounding space and time mode. And mem is mayim, water is the ultimate solvent. Mem, water, causes things to become one with it. What's a solvent? It causes things to become one with it. You put anything in water long enough, it becomes the water. And the and that's the mem, is that idea of the scatteredness of shin focusing into the mem, into the mm, into the oneness. So you see, even Shema starts with Consonants that are drawing you into into this reality that all is one, and then the ayin of Shema, Shema, the ayin of Shema is the word ayin, I. Listen to the English, I, ayin, same word. And the word ayin in Hebrew, whereas I, you might say, look into it, it might mean deep, to look deep, look into this. Would you look into that for me? You know, so we see it doesn't just mean to see, it also means to delve. And so too in Hebrew, obviously. Ayin is to delve. In fact, in the morning in yeshivas, they usually learn what's called iyun, in-depth. They don't go very fast. They go a couple lines a day, and they go in-depth. In the afternoon, then they learn something called bakiyas, which is because people are already tired, it's going to be hard to concentrate in that level of depth, then they cover ground. I'll cover maybe a page or two in the Talmud. So the third letter was Ayin is look deep, delve into this one. Get out of your scatteredness, focus yourself into the oneness, and look deep into this. And then you say, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem, surrounding space and time, is Elokim Shalanu, is, is all there is, and it's all one. And not only that, but you gather your tzitzis. We have this four-cornered garment, right? The cosmic dental floss. That if you thought a kippa wasn't nerdy enough, you know, try walking around with fringes. You know, this, this is like, this takes the cake. You should know that the greatest victory in the world is to be a nerd. It's a great victory. You know why it's a great victory to be a nerd? Shall I explain? The reason it's a great victory to be a nerd is because if you think about it, probably since you were 11, 12, 13 or something, maybe 14, and we'll talk about this on my seminar, but the, uh, you have been hell-bent on being cool, on being recognized, whether you did it through being cool or being smart or being fast or being strong, but you've been hell-bent on being seen as cool in the eyes of others. Well, being seen as cool may feel good for the moment, but it has it has terrible terrible fallout. Being cool uh, is being cool safe? 
when you're driving a sports car? Very dangerous. Many people have lost their lives being cool. Uh, is being cool good for your brain cells at parties? No. Not very good for the brain cells, and that's you're going to be your thinker for your whole life. Is being cool good for a relationship with parents? Hey, mom and dad, want to come to this party with me? Being cool isn't very good for your parents. So the, the only, probably the only two people who would really take a stand for you, no matter what, have been sacrificed in honor of being cool. So, you see, being cool is a very dangerous thing. Being cool means you're cool, you're cold. Uh, when your heart was hurt, you don't feel that. Being cool means not crying. So now you're no longer in touch with your emotions, which means you're just totally out of it. You see the fallout in being cool? So that's why being a nerd is the greatest victory. I call the keeper instant nerd. I am. Instant nerd. I'm a nerd, and now I can feel, and now I can love, and now I can connect, and now I can... It's been the, the, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was putting a keep on my head. And I can get along with my brothers who I thought, you know, were, you know, they were more into television. Uh, I had brothers that were into television. I was like, like, what kind of thing to... How can you be into television? And I would judge them, and I wouldn't be close with them. And once I became a nerd, I was like, hey, how can I have judged my brothers? Because I thought it wasn't cool. You know, and then they became my brothers again. The, my parents became my parents. And I, I don't need to be cool, so I don't need to smoke nothing or drive crazy or anything like that. I get to, and, and I get to experience things, like for example, surfing. You know, people always ask, what was it like surfing those waves? Must have been beautiful. I don't know. I was so busy being cool, I didn't notice. Dropping in. I wanted to catch the biggest wave and get in the biggest barrel, biggest tube. And I wanted everyone to see it happen. Because, you know, that was going to be the conversation of the night at the, at the party. You know, and so I missed, I missed 12 years of surfing. So, you see, being cool is very dangerous. And being a nerd, you can get it all back again get real again. It doesn't have to be a keeper, but boy, there's no shortcut of being a nerd than wearing a keeper full time. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful crutch in helping you become a nerd again. And, uh, and obviously there's nothing more nerdy than the cosmic dental floss, than the, uh, the tzitzis. <laughs> I mean, that's just like <laughs> turbo nerd, you know. And, uh, oh, pay is? Uh, pay is already bizarre. You know? That's already weird, you know. Pays aren't nerdy. Pays are just freaky, right? The, I mean, pays are like you're freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> what, are, what are the pays for exactly? Other than the requirement of having to have not cut your hair. I mean, why do people go with these long, long, long pays? What's that? So about? put the white paper in front of the screen for a second. Check it out. Take one. Someone's calling me a lot. Checking the telephone. Take one. <laughs> Try that again. Right. Pay us. Take two. So um, the side locks on the side of my head are called payas. And the reason they're called payas is because you'll notice that Jews are often saying pay us. I'm glad you like that. Just kidding. Um, anyway, they're called payas, and they, um, or in modern Hebrew, a Sephardi would call them peyot, peyot, which is uh, means the corners. You're not allowed to shave off the corners of your head, and, and this is that area here, the corners, and it's specifically the jawbone. So you have to have a nice kosher set of lamb chops. You don't have to be... You want to see a kosher pair of payas? Here's, here's a kosher pair of payas right there. Modeling those payas. Thank you. Turn your head sideways, please. Kosher payas. My payas... My payas are no more kosher than your payas. We have the same exact mitzvah going on here. And the main thing is if you feel your head, you'll feel there's... A, you got your jawbone there. So the Torah commands us to make sure there's at least a few millimeters of hair there. So if you're someone who's clean-shaven, you'd want to stop right below that bone. Okay, you'll look a little like Elvis Presley, but uh, 
you know, nothing like a little lamb chop there. You know, you gotta you gotta go for that style because then you're you're just so simply avoiding one of the big commandments. And any any time it's a negative commandment, it's a get out of the way of the divine flow commandment. You understand? The negatives are get out of the way of the divine flow. You know, if you're not feeling divine flow in your life, you're probably in the way. So there's some negative commandment that you're doing that was a don't do, and that's getting in the way of of your feeling of divine flow. One sec. The payas are uh, so payota means literally the corner or the corners of your head, this area, and. Uh, and again, you don't have to grow them long. The reason I grow mine long, and you'll see many Hasidim and other types of people grow them long, Yemenites grow them long, and stuff, is our way of saying to God, thank you for this beautiful opportunity to serve you by not shaving the sides of my head. Just like a Hanukkah menorah. You don't need a menorah. All you need is a candle. You can take a little tea light, one tea light every night, just one, and light it and say the blessing you, know, you can imagine the Holocaust, they didn't light, you know. I mean, they, you imagine the Nazis were providing them in their little barracks. The, uh, here's your Hanukkah candles for Hanukkah. So they only lit, you know, one candle every night. And they would often, um, there, there are stories of how they lit Hanukkah candles that they used, if someone had any fat left on them, they would, they, people would cut out a little fat of their own body. Of their own body. You know, one guy, they, 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 let's say a guy who still has some fat and him moved into the barracks. So, they'd tie him down, just kidding. They would ask him, you know, can we light Hanukkah off you, you know? And if he agreed, and many holy Jews were there, he would, they would do a teeny incision, take out a little fat, and then they would cut a tiny bit of shoelace, because your shoelace is where your life. You, lo- you lose your shoes, you're dead in the Holocaust. And, but they would cut off a tiny bit of shoelace, not so much that could ruin it, a little bit. And they'd put the shoelace in, they'd get a cap, a metal cap or something, put the shoelace into the little bit of fat, and they would light it, and the whole barracks would stare at the candle of Hanukkah. And, you know, when they would ask, when people ask, where was God in the Holocaust? He was in those barracks. He was definitely there. He may not have been in the nations of the world. They were not being very godly. But he was in that barrack when they lit that Hanukkah candle. The crazy thing is today that Jews don't like Hanukkah candles. There's actually Jews who don't like Hanukkah. You know, if they only knew what only 65 years ago, how people are lighting Hanukkah candles in the Holocaust, would be like, of course I'll light a candle. Anyway, but just like on Hanukkah, all I need is one tea light. That's already fulfilling my mitzvah. But what do I light on? I light on this big, beautiful silver Hanukkah, a big, beautiful silver menorah. Because I'm saying to God, thank you for this opportunity. Kiddush, all I have to do is drink grape juice. I can grab a coffee mug. I can grab a plastic coffee mug. But what do I do? I take a $140 silver cup, beautiful silver cup, handcrafted. (coughs) That's what I make Kiddush out of. You understand? That's my way of saying thank you to God for having given me that mitzvah. And that's what these are. These are just thank you. So, so normally we beautify a positive commandment. This is a rare case where we're beautifying a negative commandment. It's don't shave. So I grow. Let me just give a little more on this. Well, I, 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 yeah. I, I, I've heard that people have made their pass longer because when going into the mikvah, they're trying to uh, the, the, the uh, soak in the water or something to this effect. Or, no? There may be individuals who have thought of that idea. Huh. I've never heard of it. Okay. Um, now, the next thing on the payas is interesting. Uh, people who shave over this bone tend to be more aggressive. They tend to be more aggressive. It is the Caesar haircut. It is the Viking haircut, Mohawk haircut. The Mohawk Indians were the warriors. Okay? In the South American jungles... So there's a warrior tribe called the Yamamamo Indians. You might have seen them in National Geographic. They have very fine hair. They shave all the way around, which is a whole other Torah prohibition for a Jew to shave all the way around. You know, you ever seen a Jew walking around like cool with a shaved all the way around the sides? You know, that's a whole other prohibition. To have it or to do it to someone. And, and anyway, the, um, the Yamamamo Indians, in, uh, it kind of looks like a mushroom. They have these like mushroom tops. They're, um, they're warrior tribes as well. 
uh, boxers, hockey players, football players, you know, even sometimes basketball players, sometimes baseball. It's aggressive. It's an aggressive look. It's aggressive feel inside. And I once taught a class on Jewish dress and appearance, and they, there was a guy in the class who was in the U.S. Army. And every month he had a regulation haircut. He says he was crazy aggressive for that week after um, the haircut. And then he'd go back to being a little more Jewish for the next three weeks until he got his regulation haircut again. Then he was aggressive again. So if you look, I have, I mean, right now my hair's a little long because we're counting the Omer, but I have the exact negative image, meaning what's the term, uh, the opposite haircut. They grow here. I sh- they grow here and shave here. I c- keep this short. My tefillin fits better. Um, no ego involved. All the egos in the hair here. This is all ego. Hair is, hair is pure ego. I sh- I cut keep this nice and trim, and I and here I grow the exact opposite haircut. And that's my way of saying. Meaning they're saying might makes right. The aggressive cultures are saying might makes right. When we win in our aggressive way of dealing with that country, we're right by virtue of being mighty. I will overpower them. Whereas Judaism that says, who is the strong man? He who has power over himself. He is able to subdue his own raw desire. That's a strong man. The strong man isn't the guy who goes and beats up everybody. The strong man is the man who stops himself from beating up everybody. That's a strong man. And that's the payas. The payas are, it's not might makes right, but that, you know, as the Beatles said, we can work it out. We can work it out. Right? We can use our brains that God gave us. This is our whole concept of compromise is strength. I'm so confident in my position that I'm even willing to give. By the way, you never want to try that with a might makes right culture. Like the Israeli government is all, they're Jewish, so they're like, we're so confident about our claim on the land, we'll even give some. The Arabs are like, we're really glad you feel that way. <laughs> because in our culture, for thousands of years, might makes right. And if you are giving and compromising, you're clearly showing that you don't have any right to that, to that plot of land. So the, you don't act Jewishly to people who don't get it. Westerners already get that a bit, but certainly not Easterners. Okay, um, and then the final thing is more for humor. Is uh, final thing is more for humor. Is the word peyote comes from the word peyote? Okay, peyote is a hallucinogenic drug, and what happens on peyote? If you're on peyote, is you cannot maintain sobriety, like if your parents walked in or something, or you got pulled over. I don't know if you could drive on peyote, but if you got pulled over. You see, on other drugs, on other drugs, you know, like someone's smoking pot and their mom came home, you know, you're, so your best friend's like, you know, maintain, and you're like, I'm maintaining. You know, but you could try to maintain, you know, get out the visine or something, you know. Um, when you're on peyote, you can't maintain. Okay? There's no maintaining. So the same thing with the peyote. You see, if you want to live as an observant Jew, you can still hide. You know, as long as you don't have these. Meaning you can, you can wear a baseball cap instead of a kippah. You can wear, uh, you can tuck your tzitzis in your pants. No one has to see your tzitzis. Lumberjacks have beards. You don't have to have a beard. Or you can even shave and still be an observant Jew as long as you use the kosher uh, electric shaver on the list of kosher shavers. Another one of those commandments. Um, but once you got these babies, you're in. You know, you can't you can't hide anymore that you're a Jew. You're, you've stopped because Jews have lots of resistance inside. We love being Jews, but we hate it too. It's a big burden. It's like a monkey on your back. So we resist it. And I think once someone decides to grow these things, he says. He's putting up a white flag, and he's saying, I'm going to be an organic Jew from now on. You understand? I'm an organic Jew. What's what's organic to a Jew? Judaism. I'm just, that's it. I'm a Jew, that's it. No more apologies. I'm a Jew, and I don't care what anyone says about who I am or how I look. 
and out come the pants. But you got to warn, I'm warning you, do not grow past unless you are ready to grow past and you know what community you're going to be in and they're going to have past in that community. Don't just grow past because you're getting like all excited about past. Because the most painful thing in the world is cutting off your, your own past. It's something the Nazis did to the Jews. It's something the, uh, the original, uh, uh, the original, you know, secular Ashkenaz Zionists did to the Jews, the Yemenites. Now, you, you don't cut off your past. You, you, you can trim them. I'm going to trim mine before Shavuos. But you can trim your past. You don't cut them off. So, this is one of those keeper mitzvahs. You only, you only do this one when you know you're in forever. And by the way, you may be part of a community that doesn't have them at all, so you'll never really have them. So, there are those that want them anyway, so they'll just make little feathers and pull them behind their ears. And do you have the feathers? Yeah. No, but I was thinking, like, I've been, I've been thinking about getting a haircut, like, as of, like, the last week, week and a half. Yeah. It's also better not to, uh, someone who has longer hair, not to shave their head and leave the pants. Because pants must grow from the inside. You know, for you to, like, shave your head and leave your pants, it'd be like a costume party. You know, we want, we want, I'd rather see you have short hair and then the pants would grow. Okay. You gotta know yourself. You'll see a lot of people grow pants are like countercultural type people. You know, they would have been like, they're just countercultural style people. So they're like, it's meaning they're not joining a Hasidic community and they're not necessarily doing it for the mitzvah. But they're just saying, you know what? To hell with Western civilization. I'm a, I'm a Jew and I'm gonna have my pants out there and I'm gonna be in everyone's face. You understand? I, that's not why I have my pants. I have my pants because I'm, I'm part of a Hasidic community. This is the way they go in the Hasidic community. Um, they're definitely, you know, I feel a spiritual connection to them deeply. But it wasn't to like be in anyone's face. The opposite. I don't want to be in anyone's face. I want to be in. I want to be congruent with the world around me. And that's your lesson on pace. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> the last thing I was going to say was about the tzitzis, and the tzitzis are um, we gather the tzitzis. Four corners representing, four corner garment representing multiplicity, right? The world in extension, right? The scatteredness. The gathering of the sitsis represents the unification of physicality, meaning the scattered multiplicity coming back to oneness. So I've pulled my sitsis into my left hand specifically on the most sensitive webbing. This part is your most sensitive webbing out the top I've now taken my right hand I've covered my eyes because when I'm saying the truth I don't want to see the lie I don't want to see the matrix when I'm saying God's reality so I've covered my eyes with my right hand because I don't want to see the matrix when I'm saying the reality of the world and then I say Shema Yisrael because really the Jews are going to get this now but everyone will get it later this idea that God's really all there is whereas the rest of the world has this that elementary school monotheism uh, definition one God Hashem surrounding creation Elokim Shalano or Elokeinu is filling creation Hashem Echad it is all one the reason we put it on this webbing is because this is your body and we want it on a sensitive part of your webbing a sensitive part of your body because you've got to be sensitive to your body you might get so holy that you say I'm not eating anymore I'm not going to be sexual anymore I'm not going to do business anymore I'm not going to get a job anymore I'm not, you know, if God's all there is like you were saying I'm out of here I'm just going to go into oneness of God but the problem is you do need to eat you do need to be sexual. It has to be done according to the instructions. In kosher way. So you, you need to be gentle with your animal. You're the rider, that's the horse. And you'll notice, by the way, horses ride. When you, a horse rider. Uh, horse rider? Horse Horseman? Horseback. Horseback rider. An equestrian. Holds the reins. Does he hold them with a full fist? No. Holds them on his webbing. Because that bit inside the horse's mouth on his webbing, meaning on his gums, on his uh, lips. 
And when you pull back on those reins, you have to be sensitive to that horse. The body's the horse. It shares the desires of the animal kingdom. But you're the rider. You tell the body when it's appropriate and when it's not. Had we never gotten the instructions, we'd be in the Himalayas, just not touching the body. Nothing to do with the body. But since we've got the instructions from Sinai, now we know how to deal with the body, how to deal with the horse. Don't stop being the rider. Who's telling who what to do here? Have you ever noticed your rider has a lot of input? Sorry. Have you ever noticed... Well, your horse is riding on you sometimes. Have you ever noticed the horse has a lot of impact? Input? Tell the horse to shut up sometimes. Say, okay, you know, you want that? I'll give it to you, but not right now. I'm in yeshiva. I'm learning. You want to eat? Wait for lunch. You want you want to work out? Wait till there's a break. You want to sleep in? Wait for Shabbos. You want to be sexual? Wait till you get married. It's telling your horse what to do. You are the boss of your horse. Not vice versa. You gotta get good at identifying who's talking. Is it the rider or the horse? And you have to be sensitive to your horse though, you can't shut it down. Oh yeah, you don't take a shotgun to your animal instincts and that's Buddhism. We're Jews. God wanted a dira batachtoni. He wanted a dwelling place below. Which means you have to use your body for things. You're going to have to be involved in financial stuff and in family and in house and all that stuff. You can't really even be a rabbi without being married and involved in this world. And you could get ordained, but no one's going to take you seriously until you're married. And, but that's the key, is, is knowing who's the horse and who's the rider. And make sure your horse isn't riding you, but that you're riding that horse. And the sitsis represent that all together, because when your horse says, hey, look at her, you might see your sitsis and say, ah, oh, Get, cool down there, little buddy. You know, uh, you got a soul. That's your rider. Okay, so the sitsas are there to see and to know when to pull back on the reins, and so that you are are really truly powerful. Because the strong man is one who is in power over himself. He's in power of the horse. He knows the difference between a horse and its rider. And our job's to be right, and you'll be happier that way. And thank God for Judaism, because you can have your cake and eat it too. See, the Buddhists don't eat the cake, they're faster. But they have it, because they can connect spiritually. For Judaism, you can connect spiritually, because we have instructions, you get to also eat the cake. Just make sure it's kosher. Thank you. Hit it. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.